This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. A tissue. A tissue, a tissue. We all fall down, don't we just? Well, we've been up half the night with a bloody cold. We've been up half the night with the cough. The cough was the worst thing. The cough has been the thing that's annoyed me out of everything. You know when you get colds and coughs? I get the cough. And to be honest with you, I coughed so much last night, I made myself sick. It got to that stage where you think, I can't... I was sitting in the back of the car this morning, and, I was, and you try and hold it off, don't you? You think, oh, perhaps what, you know... See if I, see if I can go for a mile without coughing. <laughs> Didn't work for toffee, did it? I was sort of coughing and spluttering all over the place. Then we started the sneezing. And um, hopefully it'll be better by tomorrow, because if it isn't, somebody's going to be found hanging outside one of the windows at Global Towers. Anyway, apart from that, I'm in a fabulous mood. Because it is Wednesday, and I... No, it's not, it's Tuesday. <laughs> See, already I'm willing the week away. I don't even know where I am half the time. You're very lucky to actually get me in in one piece. I'm very lucky to find myself in one piece. I did think yesterday, when we did the programme, and I talked about Linda Bellingham, I did secretly think in my heart of hearts yesterday, and her husband has come out and said the same thing, that she was not going to see Christmas. I think that anybody who has been with people who are suffering from terminal cancer, there's, there's just something about them. They, they summon up the strength to do the one thing. And I think the thing that she struggled with was summoning up the strength. She turned it all on. She became that showbiz person. And Linda Bellingham was showbiz through and through. And I think she literally had to drag herself through that Loose Women interview. I think that was very stressful. Anything like that is very tiring for people who have terminal cancer. You know, you think you've got boundless energy, but you're just your little body's closing down and you just want to you just want to go to bed, you just want to rest, you want to sleep. And I did think that looking at the pictures of her yesterday, I just got a feeling, judging by the way she is at the moment and knowing that it's terminal, I didn't really think she was gonna make it to Christmas. I think it was a, a nice pipe dream. She did do the Loose Women programme. Isn't it funny though, you do something like that, summons up all the all the strength that she's got. And then she uh, and then she loses the battle. I think it got to that stage. I mean, they they've said her agent said she died in the arms of her husband because he was there at the end for her. And that's all you do with somebody who is who is dying. You make sure that you cuddle them and you give them all that warmth and comfort that they know, so they're not by themselves. So she would have known that he was there. I think that's one of your last senses. I think hearing is the last sense that goes. Everything else goes, but your hearing remains. Because I remember saying to the nurse about my mother in the hospice, and I said, can she hear us? He said, he, and, uh, I said, can she hear? And he said, yes, she'll hear, you know, so you can, you can say anything you like and she'll hear that. And I think that's what they said to Linda Bellingham. I think they said, just let go, just let go. Some people fight it, you know, which you would. It's a natural reaction, isn't it? It's like I remember going into hospital years ago and having an operation, but they needed to put me out. And, um, and they gave me an injection. They said, count to ten. Well, I was gone by two. I only got as far as one, two, and I'd gone, but I, but I fought it. I remember thinking, it's like going to the dentist. When they used to put you out in the dentist, they used to give you gas. And, uh, and I can remember thinking, I'm going to fight this. And they said, just breathe, just breathe it in. It'll be, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Of course it is, but then I, I always worried them. When they, when they try and bring you back round, I keep my eyes closed. I don't like to let on I'm actually back in the room. I like to sort of let them think. I remember one of the dentists saying to me, Stephen, Stephen, I thought, I'm going to really drag this out. I'm going to really drag this out. So I, I just deliberately kept my eyes closed. Stephen, and they started shaking me a bit, and then a bit more violently. 
and then uh, they picked me up and threw me out of the room. And that, that always has the, uh, the desired effect. So, Linda, I thought, judging by the way she was on the programme and seeing the little clips of it and uh, seeing the interview, I, I didn't think that she was going to make Christmas. Nice thought. Nice thought, but I think it was the bit of the pipe dream. If she'd stayed on the chemo, she might have done, but she didn't want to put her family through that, to have Christmas and then for it all to finish. So when she died, and I only heard about it on the television, I was watching Lorraine Kelly, and, um, and she said, literally within the last half an hour, we've heard that Linda Bellingham's died, and I tweeted it immediately because I knew that you'd all be interested. And everybody else then picked up on it, and the Loose Women tweeted me back, and they retweeted. Very sad. Very sad. As they said yesterday, they were all there. <clears throat> and um, I think it's a case of you'll always remember her, because she was always bubbly. She was always doing things. She was always a busy actress. You know, people liked it. She loved a gossip. God knows she liked a gossip. And so that's why she was absolutely ideal for any of my programmes. So I quite like a gossip as well. So that was very... Uh, we're on the Manuka Honey today. We've had two, because the producer who gave me the uh, the cold, not that I'm bitter or twisted in any way, shape or form, but uh, while we're sitting here doing the programme this morning, I will be making a noose, and uh, I will be sort of holding it up around a lamp thing, just to sort of remind him, you know, that I do have the power within me and the strength within my little body to actually drag myself through that and hang him. You know, I mean, I really, it doesn't bother me that people, you know, come in and infect. The other thing is the problem in this building or any other building that's got air conditioning. If somebody's got a cold, because it's a virus, it spreads. It can spread like wildfire. And uh, I'm, I'm not normally susceptible. But if you remember last year, we had the cough. And that drove me absolutely to distraction. Drove the boss to distraction as well. So much so, he said, because every, literally, I could manage about a minute before a cough then, because it became tickly. So this morning I've had a cup of coffee. I've got a big, big mug of Manuka honey in hot water. And that will hopefully see me through the programme. I, I should have had three interviews today. I'll do Daniel Radcliffe and Catherine Jenkins, but I'm going to have to. Remember yesterday I had to put Chris DeBerg on my back burner. I'm going to have to do the same today for lovely John Hanna. We'll have to reschedule him because I think by the time I get to Catherine Jenkins, I don't think I shall have the will to live. It was it was bad enough sort of sitting there this morning, you know, thinking, I don't know, what, do I go to work or not go to work? You know, if, at least if I get up. I felt so much better in the shower. Funny that, isn't it? You sit in the shower and I really, I thought, that's great. I didn't cough once in the shower. Yeah, probably the steam. Were you in my shower or something this morning? How do you know there was steam in my shower this morning? Oh, God. It's now worrying, isn't it? Now stalking from afar. Plus the camera, of course, yes. That mists up, though, doesn't it? But you'd be delighted to know. I just went and sort of clear it off a little bit for you. You get a full view of everything. I say everything. Well, you know, pfft, least I can do. Might as well see that and die. You know, at least you've seen something. And so, um, so I felt better in the shower. I mean, I really did. I got out of the shower. <coughs> and I thought, well, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Brian Harvey. Excuse me. Brian Harvey turns up the other day, at Downing Street, demanding to see the Prime Minister. And um, he thinks that the Prime Minister or the government owe him money for something, so he turns up with a folder. Um, I don't know whether or not... You remember Brian Harvey goes into the jungle some years ago for the I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, has an argument with, I don't know, Janet Street Porter, because he kept breaking wind. And Janet Street Porter, quite rightly, said that's disgusting. And so he walked out of the jungle... You know, if you remember, he also was the same person who reversed his car around the corner and fell out of the door. You know, he's had a catalogue of disasters as Brian Harvey. He was never. Th- he went out with Daniela Westbrook. 
They went out for a while. In fact, I think she started her cocaine addiction when she was with him because I was with her when they were going through their their breakups, which are about as tedious and as boring as it really gets. And so, consequently, um, she's in the paper today, and he's in the paper today. Ironically, isn't it? She's uh, in the paper because she's arrived back from America, where she's been to a, an alcoholic rehabilitation unit or something. Well, I mean, who cares? Who gives a stuff? And then yesterday, oh, and he's in the paper because he turned up at Downing Street, so there happened to be a photographer there. Almost a bit, you know, ironic, isn't it, that a photographer turns up at the same time as Brian Harvey turns up. A little bit of a coincidence on that one, don't you think so? And then I did see yesterday... <coughs> excuse me, I watched... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> hang on, wait a minute, we'll have some more of this. Uh, I did watch Graham Norton, and... Um, and I love Graham Norton. He had some very good guests on. He had a couple of actors and Stephen Fry. And Stephen Fry just couldn't resist chipping in because he's got great stories to tell. And in the end, I'm thinking, shut up, shut up. Don't talk all the time. He's a great chatterer. Great, great chatterer. And um, that was a good programme. And then I flipped over to another channel and I seemed to get ITVB. And that had a programme with one of the girls from... Uh, what was she from? I can't remember. They had Richie Neville, and then it might have been a, she, a Natasha Hamilton. Might have been an Atomic Kitten girl. I can't quite remember. Anyway, they've been together for a year. Uh, he's moved into her house, which they rent. So there's obviously not a lot of money around. So he needs to find some reality shows. She's uh, pregnant, but she's now had the baby, and uh, it was seven days in their life. What a boring life they've got. What a boring life. You know, we had it on one time, let's uh, let's put a tent up in the garden, because she has three children, three boys, by somebody else, who must be delighted to see uh, his sons. This is the problem when marriages break up, isn't it? And all of a sudden, just suppose the wife goes and lives somewhere else, and then a man moves in, and all of a sudden, he's got your children. So you can understand how some people are, are very, very angry about the way things work out. And I'm watching Richie Neville on this programme, who's moved into her house, which they rent. So, obviously, there's not a lot of money around, is there? And um, within a year of being together, because they're in love... I don't have a problem with them being in love. I just had a problem with them having to do a reality show, which literally pointed out how boring they were. You know, really dull. You know, playing with the kids, going to a park. They were were getting ready for the big concert for five. Thousands of fans... Uh, we're going to be coming down to Hyde Park. But the Libertines fans had apparently trashed the stage the night before, and so the concert was cancelled. I think the Libertines is with Pete Doherty, isn't it? Can't believe he's still alive, but there you go. And um, so they cancelled it as they were about to get in the car and tootle off down to London for about... There must be four hours away, long, long way away. Uh, even though there is, I think there is another tour coming up. I think they're going to do another one of these reunion tours with Here Come the Boys, uh, where they'll all get there and mime. I'm assuming. I don't imagine any of them can sing. Uh, they've got a little recording studio in their house. It was just... A, I just kept thinking, how boring. There's no rock and roll lifestyle. There's no going out. Because she's got her ready-made family. He's now moved into the ready-made family. And he didn't appear to have anything to do. He went off to the pub to see another member of five, which is now four. And, uh, and they talked about children. And that was about it. It was so boring. It was almost as tedious... As um, as that fo- footballer Vinnie Jones, whose reality show was so dull in the end, they cancelled it because he didn't do anything. He would sit there because he just stared in front of the television. It was a bit like uh, Katie Price's reality show. There was nothing going on there at all, 
apart from when she went to get her nails done or take her hair off and send it in to have somebody else fix that. That was it. She didn't do anything else. There was nothing. She had a few little product-type launches, but all in all, it was a pretty dreary life, and you felt a bit sorry for her. Well, I did. So I felt very sorry for Natasha. Uh, it's very pretty. The kids seem very well adjusted. They don't want to be stars, as you can imagine, seeing the way their stepfather's turning out. And um, and they've got a baby on the way, and there could be another one. Well, no, ba- baby they've had. There could be another baby on the way. That's all people want nowadays, isn't it? They just want uh, want children. So I watched that, and then I watched The Apprentice, and I'll tell you about that after this. Nick Ferrari and the team with you after seven o'clock this morning, and uh, I'll give you a rundown of exactly what he's going to be doing this morning. Uh, would you shop a benefit cheat? Absolutely. No hesitation at all. Plus a trial that spans eight months. An Olympic athlete found guilty of culpable homicide. Now, as he takes to the stand, Nick will bring you all the latest on the sentencing of Oscar Pistorius. Looking at the papers today, John Craig, chief political correspondent for Sky News in the studio. So, uh, Linda Bellingham all over the papers today, which is fantastic. And uh, I don't think there's a paper that doesn't put her on the front page. I don't think there is a paper that does not put her on the front page. Uh, the person who doesn't want to see her on the front page is somebody called Graham Pickering. It could be Graham Lee as well. And uh, he says, let the family grieve in peace. Your spelling needs about two out of ten, I think, on that one. I must, I must perhaps give you spelling lessons. What an inconsiderate person you are. How horrible. You know, somebody wants to celebrate the life of Linda Bellingham and you don't want to. Well, nasty. Mind you, having heard half the callers to Ollie Mann earlier on, and a couple of what can only be described as people who should be sectioned. I've never heard such rampant homophobia. Now, mind you, I always tend to find that those who are homophobic are very often racist and they're anti-Semitic. They seem to have all the, uh, all the illnesses that go along together. <coughs> Excuse me, this is the story, <coughs> as you know, of, um, of the, the bus driver. Although we've only heard one side of it. We haven't heard anything from the bus driver yet. Um, who apparently told the gay couple to uh, use swear words and everything else. Now, of course, it'd be caught on the camera, because they've got cameras on the buses. Whether or not the bus driver has disenabled it, I've got no idea. We'll find out probably later. But uh, either way, this is London, and it is the year 2014. And if you don't like it, you know, you better get used to the fact... It was, I listened to some stupid... I've never read anybody so stupid in my entire life. I began to wonder whether she was either on medication or drunk, or she was just being deliberately thick... And uh, I felt like sort of phoning up, actually, and sort of saying to her, listen, you do realise there are gay policemen out there. There are gay doctors, gay nurses, there are gay MPs, gay speakers of the House of Commons. We've had gay prime ministers, just about everybody. She didn't like it at all. But there again, I should imagine, she sounded like the sort of person who smelt. You know, the sort of person you get near, you get, phew, dear, the whiff and stench of jealousy oozing out all over you. I just don't like it, she said. And just by listening to her voice, I thought, well, I don't think anybody likes you either. That's why you've got no friends. But it was, it was hilarious to listen to. I seriously couldn't believe it. And then the taxi driver, who phoned up, thinking he's speaking for all the taxi drivers, saying, well, no, there are gay taxi drivers out there. God knows there must be. Well, in fact, I know there are. Um, and it was so funny to hear him saying, you know, I, if you did a survey, 100% of taxi drivers wouldn't want that kind of thing happening. Unfortunately for him, because he was so stupid, he doesn't realise he might own his cab, and not everybody does own their cab. They are licensed you know, if you're found to be breaking a, a rule, then uh, you'll be taken off the road. And nobody could give a stuff about you. I love the way they think they're speaking for everybody, don't they? They'd go, and I'm, 100% of people would back me up. No, only the bigots that hang around with you, I should imagine. But it was the woman I thought was the most hilarious. I've never heard of anybody so stupid in my entire life. 
I didn't realise that stupid people like that actually existed outside of mental institutions. I seriously, I couldn't believe it was the year 20... I thought perhaps we were playing old tapes of callers from the 1860s, but no, it turns out it was, it was a caller taken from tonight. From tonight or this morning, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, Ian is in uh, Chengdu in China. He said, the app, which must be the app on the LBC website, the essential part of my travel to stay in touch with home. Uh, regards to cancer, if caught early, the treatment now is a great chance of success of removing it. Yes, uh, well, it's different. I'm afraid it's, it does remove it, but what, what the thing is with cancer is that they remove as much as possible, and then the little tiny bit that hides is the bit that learns how to multiply. And that's why when you get secondary cancer, and a lot of people do get secondary cancer, you know, it's because we've not been good enough at clearing it all up first time round. So I know how it works. I know exactly how it works, because I know lots of uh, people who've been in for their chemo and people who've been in for this and for that. It's, a, it's such an odd thing, cancer. There's so many different forms of it. So many different forms. But when we saw uh, Linda on the television, even her husband said, he said, I secretly knew, he said, that she wouldn't be seeing Christmas. But you don't tell her that. You sort of, you let somebody believe that they're going to be seeing Christmas. That's how it works, isn't it? That's how it is. Maria says, hope your cough gets better. Yes, me too. Me too. We've had to, as I say, we've had to cancel John Hanna for today because I've got two interviews to do. I'm not just about to get through two. And then perhaps we shall reschedule him for either later in the week or for next week, because he's in Uncle Vanya in uh, in town. I think they've just had their opening night as well at the St James's Theatre. So I turned on the telly yesterday and I watched Graham Norton, which was very good, very entertaining. And then I flip onto another channel. I don't know what on earth I was watching, but I managed to find um, The Apprentice. Now, I haven't seen The Apprentice for a few years. I know who these dreary old people are, because the moment it comes round to The Apprentice again... They do big spreads in the newspapers. They say, this person is this, this person is that, this person is a born leader, this person says, you know, no is not an option. And what I watched was a bunch of frauds. I watched a bunch of people who quite clearly were compulsive liars. People for whom there was no hope in the future. There was absolutely nothing. The uh, the women... <clears throat> Obviously thought they were power dressing. They just looked cheap. They just looked cheap. The blokes, quite clearly not one of them had ever been successful in business. Because if you were successful, you wouldn't be going on a programme like this. It's the losers who go on a programme like this. And then what they do is they try and big themselves up. And uh, the bullying that goes on. Oh, shocking. Absolutely shocking. The bullying that went on on the programme the other night. (coughs) Where they were trying to... Either get printed T-shirts done or sell hot dogs or sell potatoes or some, whatever it was. It was all very strange. And so I watched it. And all I kept thinking was, listening to these people who were, um, who were lying through their teeth about, <coughs> excuse me, about their qualifications. In fact, at one point, Lord Sugar said to one of the blokes, he said, um, he said it says on your CV that you've led a team of 200 people. And this bloke went, yes. I thought, With what, what, were you on a coach trip or something, dear? There was no way this bloke had any experience in anything. He was nasty. He was a horrible bully. Horrible. He was bullying, uh, I think, the only black guy on the course, who turns out to be a social worker, who, to be honest with you, was fairly irritating. But all he was saying is, we need to turn this car around and go and collect the T-shirts. It it, it was so interesting to watch, because then they all forget that it's being filmed. And when they play it back, you can see what he was like. And the man was an idiot. Not the black guy. The other guy was the idiot. The black guy was just an irritant, as Lord Sugar said. And then you had these women 
And uh, there was one woman, I don't know where she'd come from, badly bleached hair. Uh, no, I'm the... I'm the coordinator, she kept saying. I'm the, you know, I'm the person leading this team. She didn't have the faintest idea what was going on. She couldn't have run a bath by herself, I wouldn't have thought. I was very disappointed. But it did, it did demonstrate to me yet again that all these people just sit there spinning a lie. As you know, we proved last week on the programme, three of them have got companies. Between them, the companies are not worth even five grand. Even five grand between three of them. And that's why it was, it was so entertaining to watch, in a way... On the other hand, I was getting annoyed, thinking if I was Lord Sugar, I'd have fired the lot of them. Karen Brady sits there going, no, that's not true. You didn't do this, you did this. One of them, they were selling hot dogs in, where was it, Stepney or something like that, what, Shoreditch. And wherever it was, they thought that they had to do Mexican hot dogs, so they had to go to a place which sold, I don't know, trade-free guacamole or whatever it was. It was just rubbish. You buy a hot dog, you just want either ketchup or mustard. But this idiot didn't realise. So I sit there watching these people clinging on for grim death to their their shallow existence. And uh, if they're as successful as they all proclaimed to be yesterday, as uh, whereas me, you know that one of them is a convicted thug and he's going out with one of the uh, the rough girls in there because most of them look a bit rough. They just they just come up with rubbish. At one point they had nothing the, the the convicted thug goes into a restaurant. They're selling potatoes. What's he selling? Paris Mipers. Paris Mipers. He said, they're, 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 they're Paris Mipers. No, Maris Pipers. And they're telling a chef in a restaurant all about Maris Piper potatoes. Like, he knows more about them than you do. I can tell you how much a sack of Maris Piper potatoes costs, because Paul Cooper and John and Al sell them in the greengrocer in Twickenham. So I know exactly how much they cost. To listen to these buffoons making up prices and going, oh, we're looking for... T-. At one point, they turned up at London Zoo, the girls led by this bimbo type at the front, with two buckets, some cleaning products, and two lavatory brushes, and a pair of rubber gloves, they were looking for £250. Pounds. 250 And the people from London Zoo, quite rightly, looked at them like, they were, like there was something the matter with them. Because I reckon I looked at that, and I reckon there was no more than 20 quid's worth of stuff there. And they're going £250, pounds, they went, thank you, no, thank you, and off they go again, because they're so dumb. The, uh, the gobby one, who didn't know Maris Piper potatoes, and quite clearly is a bit thick, who's the convicted thug, whose father had his club closed down because of drug dealing going on there. I mean, it just, it just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? He quite clearly is a very nasty piece of work. On the other hand, having seen the rest of them, I think they're all nasty pieces of work. I don't think there's anybody decent in the whole programme. I don't like any of them. I really don't like... I only like Nick, Karen and Lord Sugar. I don't like anybody else on the programme. They're all stupid. You know, they say, oh, I mean, he wanted to fire, I think, all three yesterday because they were all complete nincompoops. One of them who's Spanish, who reckoned he was, uh, he, he understood that, you know, he couldn't sell anything. But he was a manager. <clears throat> I thought, well, he's lied through his teeth. He was sitting there blatantly lying. We know he'd lied because we just watched it on the television. But an interesting experiment, as far as I was concerned, in, in sort of people watching. And I love people watching. Don't get me wrong, I'm really a big fan of people watching. I just decided... But at the end, it's my life is too short to start worrying about whether or not I sit there watching The Apprentice. So I've decided that I'm not going to watch it again. I'll wait till I... I like the firing. The firing bit's good, and that's about it. Quick time check for you. It's uh, LBC. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday morning in London town. So the wind's going to come in and the rain, and that's it. I mean, it's not a tsunami or anything like that. Not the kind of thing you should worry about too much. 
that it just means that you're going to get wet if you don't take an umbrella. But, you know, I've told you. What more can I do? My, my job is done, as they say. Uh, Wayne is currently uh, residing uh, abroad, actually. Well, Moscow yesterday and New York today. I wonder what Moscow hotels are like. Do you get an overnight stay in Moscow? Or is it you fly in, they turn the plane round, and then it's off out again in a few hours? You know, do you actually get to go to a hotel? Is, is that one an overnight stop and then you do New York? I mean, to be honest with you, given the choice, I don't know what Moscow hotels are like. I don't know if they're any good. I don't know what sort of food they do. I just, I'm, I'm, I quite, I always imagine that Moscow's a bit backwards, that there are still those shops which are only open to the uh, to the people in in the higher echelons. There's so much so much mafia money floating around Moscow. I mean, the old place is corrupt like there's no tomorrow. I remember one time somebody said, if you go to Moscow years ago, take jeans. I said, why? They said they'll pay good money for Western jeans. They're paying good money for mobile phones at the moment because it's difficult for them to get. So they send people over here and uh, <clears throat> then they come back with them. So I still see it as being a bit backwards, but I think it must be quite nice to walk through Red Square when the snow is coming down. Patrick in Feltham says, I totally understand how you're feeling with your cough. I don't have that, but my nose is running constantly, so feel lousy, but your show is cheering me up. I'm so happy. Uh, yeah, it's the cough bit that's really annoying me this morning. Really annoying. I felt the same about Linda Bellingham, Steve. She had that aura that told me it was her last lap. So brave and cheerful. Some people do rally very near the end. My late husband did. Bless him. Uh, Linda's voice was strong, but it must have been a tremendous effort. And I absolutely agree, Sasha. I think it was for her. And that's what I said yesterday on the programme. I said she looked tired after she'd done that because it would have drained her mentally. She can do it. It's like doing a performance. At the end of the performance, they just collapse. And I think that's what she must have been like. And then they took her back into hospital and she died there with the family. And I think they must have, because they always know, they know to literally within an hour, literally within an hour, probably even half an hour of exactly when it's going to happen. And they go, listen, it's, uh, she's going now. Because things start shutting down. It's, it, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But, you know, because she was strong, I think everybody around her tried to get strong. Nobody ever says you get over it. I know that for a fact. You know, it doesn't matter how many years later, you know, your loved ones passed on, your mum, your dad, brother, sister, whoever it is. You always remember. <clears throat> you never not remember. Pam in Brentford said, I went to the big reunion on Saturday and out of five, the group five, there's now only three of them. Dear Lord, is it? I love the way that they, they refer to it as Richie's group. I don't think it was, actually. I don't think it was, but I just felt a bit sorry for him and his, his sort of existence in this... House. House was quite nice, actually. I quite liked the house. And the, and the kids were very good. They were obviously a bit of a handful. But OK, I think the oldest was <coughs> 11, I think. 11. Uh, another one here. It says, uh, Benelin for the cough. I remember Linda Bellingham and all creatures great and small. Aha. Yes, I remember seeing her on that. She replaced Carol Drinkwater on that programme. Replaced Carol Drinkwater. Uh, the woman in the burqa thrown out of the Paris Opera House will come round to a little bit later on this morning. And as you know, Ollie Mann got uh, miles and miles out of the gay couple thrown off the bus for kissing. I think they probably came from the West Country. Ollie was saying a lot of gay people come from the West Country. And then they come down. You can't believe the mentality of some people. They must hate everything. You know, the, you probably find they're sort of vegetarians and they wear sort of caftans. And they walk down the high street going, I don't like you. I don't like you at all. They probably mutter to themselves quite a lot. <laughs> Mary recognise uh, vocations lozenges. Maybe good enough. Listen, believe you me, in this business, I've sat there trying everything. I bought from the pound shop, Kilcoff, spelt with a K, and one L, and cough with a K as well. And, uh, and that's quite good. That's got um, 
benzene tincture, something chloride and capsicum tincture as well. And it tastes a bit medicinal. But that was the one that was recommended last year, and that seemed to do quite well. So I've got another bottle of that, because it's only a pound. And most of these uh, medicines, I've normally got to get the diabetic one with the no sugar in it, which is okay. doesn't bother me in the slightest. But believe you me, after all these years in the business, I've tried everything. (coughs) Every medicine, every tablet known to man. All you really want is just something that you spray. I mean, the tickly cough last night was driving me mental. Absolutely mental. Because you think, I'm not going to cough, and then blow me down, I'll start coughing again, as I will on the programme this morning. So I do apologise in advance. I'll try and get as far as I can through without sort of going into one of my little uh, little moments. Ian in Surbiton says, The Apprentice isn't about business anymore, more a comedy of errors. Yeah, I mean, I just thought they were idiots. Seriously. I thought they were they were just frauds and liars of the worst possible kind. The worst possible kind. They were just there giving it the big I am, but didn't have the faintest idea. I mean, the man who claimed that he'd run, you know, groups of 200 people, I thought, you must be lying through your teeth. You couldn't organise 12. How on earth you organised 200? I've got no idea. Again, they all spout this claptrap, don't they? I'm, I'm always grateful when they leave the business and disappear completely. And as you know, poor old Louisa Zisman now has to sort of practically rip all her clothes off to get herself noticed. I mean, that's how desperately sad it's become for her. And a few of the other ones, Katie Hopkins was another one. She has to say stupid things just to get herself noticed. They always have to say something particularly thick. And I think they learn that in The Apprentice. You know, I am a giant you know, against all these sort of miniature people around here, all these little peasants. I know what I'm talking about. None of them know what they're talking about. They just, they seriously don't. I I found it, I found it an entertainment. At the same time, I found it immensely sad that they were so delusional, they actually believed that they were of interest to people. So the driver who threw the people off the bus, as I say, Ollie Mann, I think was absolutely gobsmacked this morning at how much homophobia uh, there was, and uh, a few people siding with the bus driver, who quite clearly is a homophobe, and if he's a homophobe, he's probably anti-Semitic, he's probably, I mean, because every single person, I thought this in the car on the way here this morning, every single person dislikes somebody. Every single person, I don't care who you are, everybody dislikes somebody, whether it's a television presenter, a radio presenter, or a religion, or a colour, everybody hates something. You know, so when we listen to that sad old woman earlier on talking to Ollie Mann, who quite clearly was, I mean, off with the pixies, off with the pixies, no friends, no nothing, nobody to talk to, except spouting her bile. I mean, it wasn't even bile, actually. It was just sort of, it was ignorance. I felt, in the end, I started to feel a bit sorry for her, thinking she must really struggle with with life. You know, perhaps the baby Jesus will take her for a sunbeam any time soon. Because it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense that somebody could harbour hatred against people you don't even know. Which is hilarious. You know, I mean, you can understand if it's somebody you see that you don't like, but it's somebody, somebody you don't know and you don't know anything about and you literally hate them on the basis of that. Marvellous, isn't it, really? Uh, Ched Evans went out shopping, the convicted rapist, Ched Evans. Producer was musing earlier. He said, how long do we keep calling him rapist? I said, until the end result of this, this investigation as to whether or not um, it was a just sentence. Uh, oh, we've also unmasked as well today the troll behind a net suicide. <clears throat> He's been named and shamed in the papers today, which I was quite pleased about, so I'll, uh, I'll bring you that one later on. Uh, poor old Cheryl Cole apparently has admitted the X Factor's left her a nervous wreck. 
I don't know, not like you have to do anything, love, is it? You just go and sit in the makeup chair for about an hour and a half. They sort of, you know, faff around with your hair, stick some makeup on you, and then you sit there and pontificate about a business you know nothing about. But she's lost most of hers. She's lost Chloe. And uh, I think Lauren Platt is still there. Uh, and she's lost that uh, nasty little one, Stephanie. Stephanie Nuller, who turned up... <coughs> <coughs> See? Judgment. Uh, she turned up the other day with Lorraine Kelly. And uh, just a little bit into the interview, the fire alarms went, so they all had to leave the studio. That was God telling us that we don't want to see a, a nasty little violent person from school days sitting grinning on the television. Because uh, her school friends came out and said, no, she was a horrible school bully, a nasty little piece of work. So I'm going with that. I'd rather go with the school friends than, uh, than anything else. I was a bit surprised, actually, that, that, uh, that Lorraine wanted to interview her. I, I thought better of Lorraine, that she would not encourage people like this. I'm sorry, once a bully, always a bully. I couldn't give a stuff whether they go, oh, I'm a changed person. It's like the convicted thug on The Apprentice. He looks like a thug. He sounds like a thug. And in fact, actually, he's so thick. He's, he's the thickest thug we've ever seen on the television. Linda Bellingham in Second Thoughts and Faith in the Future. Loved her voice and her smile, says Michael. Uh, my dad lost uh, a battle with, uh, with cancer. Three types. A tired heart after recovering from a broken hip. <coughs> 92, says Mandy, and amazing. But like Linda, he was so tired and went peacefully. Yes, I, mean, I think when you get to 92, when you get to 92... Uh, you know, that's that's what you do, isn't it? You must be tired. I mean, we've all had days where you wake up and you think, oh, God, I could just stay in bed. I could just stay in bed today. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to stay here and be all cosy and warm and, and snuggly buggly. That's what I like. I love days like that. I don't really get days like that anymore. I used to get them years and years ago. I don't seem to have a day like that. I got home yesterday because we weren't feeling too good and we had the disaster with the studio as you know so there was a slight problem there which I don't want to go into but uh, suffice it to say it won't be happening again um, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me and then I got in and I thought I'll just rest so I rested for about an hour and then I sort of got up and felt a bit better about life and then this morning, we're sort of dosing ourselves up with water. Oh, I've got coffee, I've just realised. managed to get myself a nice cup of coffee as well. Um, so, Brian Harvey. They call him Troubled Ex-Pop Star. I love, I love it when they call people Troubled. I always think they're, they're, they're sort of skirting around the issue here. Uh, sparked fears over his mental health when he stormed Downing Street and demanded to see the Prime Minister. So a lot of people were taking pictures. He appeared to have an official photographer with him. Because the bloke's got a camera around his neck and somebody else was taking a picture. And so I'm, I'm quite curious as to know, you know, whether or not his health has failed completely. He was wearing a bobble hat. And I don't really know what you can say about him. Uh, he was shouting that the binder he was holding was evidence of how much money the government had stolen from him. He then oddly kept shouting, you'll all be dancing to my number one single at Christmas. <coughs> fans uh, defended him the other day uh, after specula speculation about his mental health. Um, Tom, writing online, says, oh, God, somebody's having a mental breakdown. Uh, Mummy Barrow added, I do hope Brian Harvey is OK. Today's behaviour a bit worrying. Yes, I mean, I don't know what he does for a living. I know he was in his 17. Uh, the Christmas thing, nobody danced to his that. Baby, if you go away, you'll find another day. And I found another day. They were a very odd-looking group, weren't they? They weren't exactly what I thought the best-looking group 
in the business. But the one who made all the money was the lead singer of E17, whose name I now cannot remember. Tony Mortimer. Tony Mortimer was was the E17 singer. And I went past his new house the other day. Tony Mortimer has bought this, well, from the outside, a very run-down house. Very old, next to... I won't tell you where it is, actually, because I think that's, that's a bit rude. But, uh, but very nice. But the inside, they're literally gutting it and doing it all again. I should imagine it looks 16th century, this house. And uh, it's lovely. It's nice. And, of course, everybody knows it because my goddaughter goes to the same school as, I think, one of tony mortimer's children and i think they know the the mother in a roundabout way we've met her out a few times and uh, she's lovely but the house is very interesting but apparently inside they've sort of gutted it so the only person making money out of e17 is tony mortimer steve allen on lbc 8350 steve at lbc.co.uk nice to see graham pickering backtracking and being the big girl's blouse that we all know he is going, oh i lost my mother to cancer i wasn't really being anti her Oh, Godfathers, honestly. Spare me the witcherings of a deluded old tart. So here is the Facebook bully, whose sickening taunts drove a teenager to kill himself. He's now been named by the son. The reason he's been named is because he's just turned 18. Callum Moody Chapman, who was 17, drowned himself in the sea after Ryan Jennings threatened to stab him in the face and set his dad's house on fire. Sounds a charming piece of work, doesn't he? Jennings targeted Callum because he'd previously dated the thug's girlfriend. One message read, I swear to God, shut your lips or I'll cut them off and feed them to you. What a nasty piece of work he turns out to be. An inquest found the cyberbullying was the most significant factor that led to Callum walking into the sea and drowning himself in Cumbria last December. Jennings also headbutted Callum, was given an eight-month referral order after admitting assault and sending malicious communications. So they can name him now because he's uh, turned 18. Callum's mum, who comes from Grimsby, wants tougher laws on internet trolls and applauded the son. However, this, um, this Ryan Jennings' mother, Catherine, last night said he's done nothing wrong, proving like mother, like son, thick as a brick. Thick as a brick. He's done nothing wrong. Disgusting is the uh, the way to describe Ryan Jennings, his mother. Perhaps just naive. Perhaps naive, lady. What do you reckon? Naive? Anything could be worse than that? I don't know. Always very worrying. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. So try and squeeze in some more here. Some more of your texts and emails coming in. Uh, another one here. It says, uh, munch an entire bulb of garlic. Oh, yuck, 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 yuck. I couldn't ever... I used to have a um, a friend of mine once. She used to eat raw garlic. She would keep it in the kitchen and she'd just munch a, a clove of garlic. It makes me feel ill to think about it, actually. <laughs> uh, Bronco Stop is a new linktus for all types of cough. Yeah, I've got to be careful with the with the sort of linktus that I take. It's got to be sugar-free. If, it, if it's not sugar-free, we can have uh, endless disasters. Endless disasters. <clears throat> no need to watch The Apprentice... Anyway, I cover every episode in about four minutes. And so uh, so Nicola sent me the, the first first two episodes in four minutes, which I like. Yes, you're right. I mean, do we really need to know what goes on in there? I mean, to watch them running around, I thought they're not, they're not experienced people and they certainly haven't got experience in business. But I, I did find it very entertaining to watch, if not a little bit annoying, I'm afraid. A little bit annoying. Uh, other stories, the... Um, this is Linda Bellingham in all the papers today because she died yesterday, so it was too late for them to get all the uh, the tributes in. And uh, everybody was there. 
uh, with Christopher Timothy in All Creatures Great and Small, uh, the OXO commercials, and then she was dancing. Uh, she did Calendar Girls, and she got an OBE, and then she recorded the last Loose Women. And I think it was a case of people knew. You only had to look at her to realise that the, uh, you know, whilst being smiley, smiley, it's a bit difficult when you just don't feel like smiling inside. And so all she wanted to do was sleep, and so she's got her her wish. They said here, uh, Colleen said yesterday, you know, we miss her so much, it's very hard not to be sad. I know they were trying yesterday to to do the stiff upper lip, but it was it was a little bit difficult because they'd only heard about it about half an hour prior to that when it got released. So it's a case of we only saw her the other day and now she's gone. But you've got the images. You've got all the uh, all the programmes she made. The other person who died the other day at the age of 69 was a guy called John Holt. Uh, John Holt was a veteran reggae legend. Uh, he died in a, in a London hospital. Best known for recording The Tide is High. Um, his uh, manager said he died at 2.40am English time. Calls of death not revealed. The music industry paid tribute. Reggae label Trojan Records called him a huge talent and a true gentleman. Trojan Records, my favourite record label. My all-time favourite record label. Uh, Noreen <coughs> says, so very, very sad about Linda Bellingham. She so wanted to see Christmas. At least she died in her husband's arms. The outpouring of grief is amazing. Your listener yesterday, Jill, mentioned she was going to the Palladium on the 16th of November. The lineup is now the Fortunes, Chip Hawks, the Pacemakers, PJ Proby and the Searchers, and Spencer Davis may or may not be on. Hope Jill has a great time, says Noreen. We're hoping to see the show again somewhere, as PJ sang. Brian Poole's taking a few steps, but it will take a long, long time to recover. Hope the cough is much better. Yes, me too. It's the only annoying thing about it, isn't it, really, when you get the, uh, when you get the cough. Jackie and Paddock Wood is up. And uh, with us this morning, which is very nice. So we'd like, we'd like to welcome everybody in for the 4am spike, which is always very good. Uh, Yasmin says, Moscow isn't backwards, Steve. There's a Marks and Spencers here. Does it do this? Do you think it does the same food that we get? Or is it? I quite like to go to a Russian Marks and Spencers. I think that'd be quite interesting. What do they do? Borscht or something? I don't know. Can't imagine. <coughs> they do the, uh, the same products that we get here. That'd be very interesting, wouldn't it? Bit of a slurp this morning. Uh, what is a picture of? Oh, a picture of Daniel Radcliffe, who we're going to be talking to uh, this morning. Kylie Minogue is featured in the papers today. And um, they say, uh, you better make the most of her recent album. It will be her last for a long time. I didn't think, actually, the album sold that well. I didn't think so. I thought, you know, people were saying, oh, it should have done a lot better. It was like that woman who came over from America. The one who'd be on the X Factor before her album didn't sell either. Uh, good news is, if you're looking for a job at Christmas, I've got 32,000 <coughs> extra jobs coming up at Amazon. They're looking for 32,000 people. It's good, isn't it? Everybody going, oh, I think we could, I think we could head down to Amazon for a job at Christmas because they've got so much to send out. So much to send out and there'll be so many people ordering over Christmas. I love ordering over Christmas. I love it. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Warren's up. He says, Cheryl Colt. No, you mean Cheryl Fernandez-Vassini. And uh, I can't do that. As far as I'm concerned, she's still Cheryl Cole. You know, you can't, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, can you? It just does not work, I'm afraid. She's always going to be Cheryl Cole, knee tweedy, I think. And uh, we all know the history she comes with. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. 
Uh, Lee says the Richard Maidley was in the paper wanting a law made called Chloe's Law as if she was the first to suffer. Yes, an example of, uh, of attention-seeking. She wants the name never to be forgotten. Yes, they want it to be called Chloe's Law, and yet, of course, she wasn't the first person to be trolled. And should it not be called Judy's Law? But as they're desperate to try and get their daughter recognised in some field... I don't mean actually a field, although to be quite honest with you, that would be a best place for her. They're so desperate, they go, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it Chloe's Law. And then all of a sudden, before you know where you are, the papers will be talking about it as Chloe's Law. Whereas, in fact, the troll has probably trolled loads of people. Loads and loads of people. But uh, they're jumping on a bandwagon. That's what they're doing. They're trying to get Chloe Maidley some sort of recognition, but it's a bit difficult when she isn't anybody. All she is is the desperado daughter of Richard and Judy. You know, Judy, who just likes to keep a low profile, generally speaking, and Richard, who absolutely adores the limelight. So every opportunity they'll be talking about Chloe's law, like it's been accepted in law. As far as I know, the House of Parliament and the House of uh, Commons have not called it Chloe's law at all. Nor will they, I shouldn't think. 84850, uk. <clears throat> Ian says, <clears throat> Internet trolls should be made aware that encouraging a suicide carries a strong prison sentence, up to 14 years. Yes, they're doing... Um, what were they doing the other day? They've, uh, they've decided to make revenge porn. That's just got to go through uh, the House of Commons, isn't it? Uh, that, that should just go through without a hitch. They're up to two years for that one. I don't think it's enough, really. I really don't think it's enough. Um, does the Russian Marks and Spencers, says Kevin the Millman, have the brand Comrade Michael in place of St. Michael? I, I wonder why it was St. Michael. I wonder, wonder what the reasoning was behind that. I, don't, I, I would love to know. St. Michael. Comrade Michael. Yeah, Comrade, we have these uh, vodka. Do you think they do vodka in there and everything else? Oh, could you go, go and get my socks over there? I quite like that idea. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, also, the paper today, here is the worst story ever, which I'm going to have to save for the other side of the news because it's a bit too complicated to actually sort of chuck it out this early in the proceedings. But I promise you, once, once you've heard it, you'll be, uh, you'll be seething as much as, uh, as much as I was when I first read it. In fact, I couldn't actually believe it. I'll tell you who, what, what her name is. Her name is Danielle Watson. Oh, she's a vile piece of work. Oh, she really is disgusting. She really is so disgusting. We'll tell you why she's disgusting, the other side of the news, because it's a story that uh, that bears repeating on LBC. Plus, we take all of your texts and emails, 84850, uk. And I will do the Monica Lewinsky story. After all these years, she's finally admitted she was in love with her boss. It's just that her boss happened to be Bill Clinton. <laughs> Still to come on your early breakfast show this morning with a coughing Steve Allen. It goes through fits and starts, you know. I'm not sure if, if I actually tipped half a tonne of Manuka honey into my mouth, do you think it might actually stop it completely? Because it's obviously a tickle, isn't it? I don't know where coughs come from. What actually... It must be something in your throat that either vibrates or gets liquid on it. I don't know. I've really got enough. never understand things like that at all. Fergie's been rebranded. That's Sarah Ferguson. They've tried a million times to try and make the public like it, but I don't think the public are that keen. Uh, the BBC's been wrapped for letting DJs swear before the watershed. Absolutely outrageous. Um, convicted rapist Ched Evans went out shopping and uh, the swindler Danielle Watson. This story you've got to hear on LBC with me, Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. So Monica Lewinsky has said, yes, I was in love with my boss. The boss happened to be 
Bill Clinton, about he's thrilled to have this one regurgitated yet again. A woman in a burqa thrown out of the Paris Opera House. She was sitting apparently fairly near the front, and the cast objected, so she was ejected. The tributes to Linda Bellingham flood in today. The driver who threw a gay couple off a bus for kissing. We don't exactly know the full story. We've just got one side of it at the moment. It's amazing, actually, how many sort of homophobes you can find at this time of the morning. It's, it's quite un, unnatural, really. Perhaps, it, perhaps they're a bit backward out of London. London, we're, we're supposedly, and this was in London, we're supposed to be sort of, you know, OK with things like this. Because let's face it, I mean, do you think the bus driver was gay? I don't know. All of that and more on uh, LBC this morning. It does seem odd, doesn't it, that the bus driver throws somebody off for doing something. Yet they'll happily sit there and watch people etching the windows and eating food and sort of throwing up all over the place. And yet uh, two people kissing, you know, and this, this particular bus driver has a bit of a queenie fit. Eight for eight, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, sad here about the death of John Holt. Listening to him in my son's car. Lots of parties in the 70s. Smoochy dancing. Uh, good memories for John Holt. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Another one here. I've got to bring you this story because this is... Uh, some of the papers have made light of this. Uh, <coughs> I, I'm sort of going for it big time. Uh, this, the headline is Here Comes the Bride. And it's a swindler. Her name is Danielle Watson. Danielle Watson must come from somewhere like Basildon. Her husband is standing by her, not for much longer, I suspect, as she's heading off to prison with a bit of luck. What she did, she pretended to have terminal cancer so that she could get well-wishers to pay for her £5,000 wedding. What an old bag. What an old bag. What a horrible piece of work. She lied to her fiancé, but there again, he's obviously sort of standing by, I don't know, I've got to look at them to realise what an ideal couple they are. She lied to family and friends, claiming she wanted to be a bride before she started chemotherapy and lost her hair. So donors gave Danielle Watson a £699 wedding dress, free wedding planning, hairstyling, ten bottles of champagne and a discounted venue for the big day. And almost six grand was raised through auctions, raffles, Cake sales and fundraising nights to pay for cancer treatment not available on the NHS. She told local newspapers she had only a 15% chance of survival. So she actually told a newspaper as well. Not content with being a liar, a vile liar as well now. And during one interview, she compared herself to Jade Goody. She said, as soon as I was told I had stage four cancer, I thought about Jade Goody and what happened to her. A 15% chance doesn't sound a lot, but I'm not giving up. Yesterday, her lawyer described and admitted she told what can only be described as the most despicable lie. One of those who she told was her then-to-be husband. Her own family also fell under the umbrella of that deceit. The court heard Watson did at one stage have minor surgery to see if she had ovarian cysts, but got the all clear. The prosecutor, Marcus Crokel, Croskull said at no stage was she told by a medical professional she had any form of cancer. Anyway, former Secretary Watson, who comes from Rowhedge in Essex, vile old bag, was rumbled two months after her wedding. She announced she was expecting cancer treatment, of course, would have stopped her conceiving. Her husband, Chris, is standing by her, basled and crown court, was told. So Danielle Watson has now been told that she could be jailed when she's sentenced in January. This fraud went on for a long time. A long period. You were preying on the vulnerable of human nature. What a horrible old bag she is. She's ugly too. She's ugly and she and she pretended to have 
cancer, she can get a free wedding. Ugh. What sort of person she is? What sort of family these people come from? I mean, how could you ever do that? You can understand somebody telling a lie, can't you? But I can't understand somebody actually carrying it through with an interview in the newspapers. And also, what sort of cheap old chavvy wedding costs about five grand? I'm in a wedding dress at six nine nine. What are we at the lower end of the scale? Are we, dear? Here, well, at least you, I mean, I thought weddings were about twenty five grand. I mean, that's about an average wedding, isn't it nowadays? You know, you're really at the cheap end of the scale if it's a, a wedding that costs about 5,000 quid. Mind you, it's uh, 5,000 quid to her. is probably That's a lot of packets of fags, I would think. She's probably thinking that's quite a lot of kebabs on a Friday night. And looking at the husband, I love the way he's standing by her. He's now been made to look such a fool in the newspapers, especially when all your mates pick up the sun today and realise what a creep you are. That's Danielle Watson, incidentally. What a horrible thing to do. But then to carry it through with interviews in the papers and compare yourself to Jade Goody. I mean, is this a mental illness? Is this somebody... I mean, she can't just be doing this for a free wedding dress and some bottles of champagne, surely. I mean, she can't be that chav, can she? Is that... Po- well, I suppose she could be. I suppose she could be. Uh, Dave says, when I was at school, Steve, we used to say that St Michael was the patron saint of underpants. Yes, everybody said he was the patron saint of underpants. <laughs> Half a cup of lemonade, sip whilst hot. Just for getting rid of the, the cough this morning. Oh, it's, a, I mean, it's, it's so annoying. I can't tell you how aggravating having a cough is. It doesn't matter whether it's a good cough or a bad cough. It's just a cough, isn't it? And uh, it's <coughs> irritating, as you can tell. Especially if you do a programme which, um, which is sort of chatting. Uh, Little Julie has booked tickets for the Jersey Boys, wanting to see it for ages. Alexandra Burke is reprising the role of Rachel Maron in the touring production of The Bodyguard, which starts in the new year. And very sad to hear about Linda Bellingham. I agree with you. Very, very sad. It is sad. But as I said at the beginning of the programme, I just had this feeling. When we saw the pictures of her, I thought, I don't think she's going to see Christmas. And her husband has admitted exactly the same. He said, we didn't think that she was going to see Christmas either. So... You know, terrible, really. Soldiering on bravely, says Nick. Uh, spring here in Adelaide, Australia. But the pollen in the air is with a vengeance. I get similar symptoms to you, but for a totally different reason. Hay fever. Can you get hay fever in October? Can you? Oh, right. Producer says you can. And he should know. He should know about these things. Because he, he understands hay... I've never had hay fever. I don't think so. Uh, 84850, uk. Um, they, um, they, no, they heard about it, it, uh, because it went out before Loose Women. They didn't, uh, hear on Sunday night. They heard about it the next day, uh, when it was released, because only within half an hour was it released to Lorraine. So they didn't hear about it on the Sunday night, I think because the family were too busy dealing with it, so I think people were let know the, uh, the other time, the other time. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. We didn't call your late mother an old tart, Graham. We called you an old tart. <laughs> Get it right. Backtracking. I think you were backtracking big time. Big time. One thing about bullies. You get caught out in the end, don't you? Uh, Ian wants to know what happened to the interview plan for Jim Davidson. Um, we went to reschedule it, and then I think he got caught up with something else. I can't remember what it was, actually. It was something else. And then he couldn't... He couldn't do it, so we had to... Then we rescheduled, and then for some reason that never that never occurred either, which was a bit of a pain. Uh, <clears throat> when you get the urge to cough, Steve, try not to. 
Clear your throat instead. It's not easy when you're talking. It's e- easier said than done. Easier said that we've now got all the cough remedies, you see. Having had all the, uh, the homophobia earlier on for, uh, for the earlier programme, and, uh, and now we get the cough remedies, which we've had before. And I don't know what the answer to a cough is. So somebody said, don't cough, because the action of coughing makes it worse. Makes it worse, I'm afraid. And uh, if my income was dependent on singing, I'd be politely cancelling my interview with you today, says Richard. Yes, luckily nobody's uh, income is dependent on singing today. So that's lucky, isn't it? Oh, you mean about Catherine? Oh, no, no, no. She's just, she's just flogging an album. I don't think she's got any dates coming up at all. She's got some radio programmes to do. Radio programmes to do. But uh, I don't think I've gone contagious now. I think I've gone past contagious because I've already had it and now it's uh, passed on. Steve says, Gary, my wedding costs £3,000. And he says it was the most beautiful day. We didn't need to spend a penny more. <laughs> Don't knock the charity of others, Steve. Just the thieving witch. There you go. So the, the thieving witch. It is terrible, isn't it, that people can actually tell fibs about something like that and sort of turn it round to their own advantage and do an interview to get something out of somebody with a newspaper and then actually obviously believe it, I suppose, in some way. Obviously believe it. <laughs> 84850, steve at I was trying to find something else in the, in the paper today that sort of didn't involve uh, exploding breasts, which is the front page of the Sun this morning, because we've apparently gone, gone bust. Because a lot of these implants that people have apparently explode. 1,500 of them so far. It begins to sound like a charity show, doesn't it, really? And uh, in the last two years... Uh, they blamed it on Jordan. She gets blamed for most things. I don't really think you can uh, blame it on her. And it's because she has uh, had fake breasts for a long, long time. And so they said that a lot of people wanted them to be like her. And uh, then you're at danger of rupture. I did see a woman the other day walking down the road. She had the most enormous pair of breasts I think I'd ever seen. And I don't normally notice things like that. But to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if she was a lap dancer or somebody who decided to have her breasts enlarged. Because they were... It, they just looked... She was very small, but they were absolutely huge, almost as if they weren't real, as if she was... Emph- I, was I, wanted to, I wanted to say to her, what do you do for a living? <clears throat> I was curious, very, very curious. Uh, Mystic Meg, who was talking about Mystic Meg? Was Ollie Mann talking about Mystic Meg the other day? That's, it must have been the day before yesterday, because... Must have, was it, yes, it might have been. Um, because I remember thinking, but Mystic, Mag is, uh, Mystic Meg has got no powers whatsoever. She was a secretary, I think, at the News of the World... And they were looking for somebody after June Penn retired, or the Mirror, wherever it was. And so they went, oh, it'll be used. They gave her an acrylic wig, and she became Mystic Meg. And then, for some reason, the lottery started using her, and she'd sit there, you know, with sort of fake mist swirling around her, staring into her crystal ball, saying, it, the number seven is behind a green door tonight. And I remember seeing her walking down the, uh, the corridor once without her wig on. It was so bizarre at the National Lottery. But no, she's got no, no particular credentials apart from the fact that she became a character, which I suppose we took to our hearts. Quarter past five. Coming up this morning on Nick Ferrari as the government launches a new campaign to report benefit fraud. Nick will be asking, would you shop a benefit cheat? Plus, a trial that spans eight months, an Olympic athlete found guilty of culpable homicide. Now, as he takes to the stand, Nick will bring you all the latest on the sentencing of Oscar Pistorius. We don't seriously believe that's today, do we? It seems to have dragged on longer than heaven and earth. Nick Ferrari, straight after the morning news with Lisa Aziz at 6.30. Papers today, John Craig, chief political correspondent for Sky News.
will be in the studio going through the papers. And Phil says, 32,000 jobs at Amazon, Steve. Are all these extra staff being taken on to shift copies of your book? It would be nice to think so, wouldn't it? It would be nice to think so. Uh, Julie says, oh, the wind is gathering pace. I can hear it whistling already. Yes, they've said it's, it's going to be a bit, a bit blowy today. I'll tell you what the, uh, the weather is, actually. Uh, well, in fact, I would do, actually, if I had it. I've just had a quick... Wait a minute, here it is. And uh, for today, windy sunshine and showers, noticeably colder. We're going to have to start wearing the winter coat again, I think. Uh, today, cloudy outbreaks of rain, which will clear. Sunshine and scattered showers following. Windy with gusts 45, perhaps 50 miles an hour, especially north of London. Feeling noticeably colder with temperatures falling through the day. Uh, the high 14 centigrade. Uh, at the moment, it's about 12, I think. So it's going to get to four... T- oh, definitely should have brought a bigger coat. Tonight, isolated showers at first, but those will slowly die away to leave a clear night. It will become chilly as the wind eases. Risk of ground frost... No, they can't be serious, can they? Not ground frost already. Oh, where did we have the other day? Was it... Somebody said they was, it was snowing where they were. They weren't in this country, I hasten to add. Uh, Wednesday, dry, sunny start, cloud increasing. Many places remaining dry... Although there is a chance of a little light rain arriving. And then Thursday to Saturday, all important for you. Thursday, cloud implication will drizzle, perhaps some brighter spells. And then it'll become heavier rain on Friday, then clearing on Saturday morning with dry and brighter conditions following. Gosh, it's not very pleasant, is it, really, for your, uh, for your week ahead? Not nice. Not nice at all. I wonder when uh, Linda's funeral will be, because that'll be a big showbiz event. They'll all turn up for that one. Everybody will be out there. Which, of course, you expect them to be, because uh, she was loved by uh, everybody. Uh, Stuart says, whiskey, um, gargling with this whiskey and then swallow it. Oh, Lord, are you sure? I've got this Kilcoff stuff, <clears throat> which is from Poundland. Somebody, only because somebody recommended it, because I, I know Poundland sell this Kilcoff stuff. I don't know if it's exclusive to them, but they, the sell, sell-by date is miles in it. It's two years away, the sell-by date, so there can't be much in it. No, it sells for a pound, so I, I bought some last year. And obviously got a bit carried away. And it smells... I can't really describe the smell of it. But it smells... It, I'll tell you what, oh, I just realised what it is. It smells like a Victory V lozenge. If you can imagine what Victory V lozenges smell. This, this smells exactly like it. In fact, the first time I smelt it, I thought, perhaps it's stuff you put in a Bunsen burner. I had no idea this was stuff you tipped into your mouth. So, here it goes. It's quite pleasant, actually. It's quite. Ple- I quite like quite like a cough mixture. I did know a presenter once who used to do a program, but he was addicted to cough med- medicine, and he was addicted to the codeine in the cough medicine. I didn't know you could become addicted. Well, I suppose you can become addicted to anything. But he became totally. Di- he would get through a bottle of cough mixture every program he did. So addictive was it? I've only got the one bottle of Kill Cough, but uh, hopefully it's. I don't know what it is. Somebody tried to explain that if you've got a tickly throat, you just have to lie there and let it pass. But I don't know what it is that makes it tickle. I know when you tickle somebody, I understand how that works, and feathers on the bottom of people's feet and that kind of stuff. But how does it work (coughs) in your throat? Um, uh, None one here. And uh, somebody says, I was listening to a past podcast. You said you were going to get your tyre pressure checked. Can't you do that from the dashboard? No. No. Well, you probably can, but I think it's got to be connected up to something, and it's, it's not... Um, I saw Jim Davidson last week, Steve, in Eastbourne. He made my 87-year-old mum laugh so much, I thought she was going to keel over. Nice man who doesn't deserve the bad press he gets. Well, he's not always been nice. He's not. He does have a bit of a history. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say something about somebody when I know differently. 
Steve, the woman who lied about having cancer is an absolute waste of oxygen. We have lovely Linda Bellingham sadly passing away from that horrible illness. That woman should be hung for what came out of her mouth, says Mick. Yes, I don't know what on earth encourages somebody to say anything like that. I really don't. It's very odd. Uh, another one here. Uh, honey is virtually liquid sugar. Yeah, but it's it's the benalin. Uh, sorry, it's the uh, manuka honey. Which is... Uh, somebody ex- ex- was trying to explain to me the other day. They said, why do you spend so much money on manuka honey? I said, because it's the best honey in the world. I said, the bees have all been privately educated. And they go out there and they know each other. And it's, you know, you're buying from a reputable family. And it comes from New Zealand. And it is terribly expensive. It is terribly, terribly expensive. Uh, Steve, uh, I'm knowing people who've died of cancer or have suffered with it. Uh, I find it a bit sick that some fraudster in Essex has lied and scammed people. As for Linda Bellingham, uh, I always liked the OXO adverts. They were funny and warm. When was the last time you could describe an advert like that? She was also in Doctor Who for a long while. And he said, I'm sure that John Holt sang a song called Mr Bojangles. Well, John Holt, I thought he did Take the Ribbon from Your Hair. He did the reggae version, which I think came out, I think it came out on Trojan Records. I thought it was, might have been Creole. I could be wrong on that one. Could be wrong on that one. <clears throat> the spores on the fallen leaves cause irritation, apparently, if you get hay fever. So my son's homeopath says, says Daryl. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Fallen Because there's leaves everywhere at the moment. Absolutely everywhere. <clears throat> I wonder if that's going to affect it. Caroline says, just having some sherry... <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Pretty annoying cough. Some sherry trifle cake and coffee. Need an extra boost to get me out the front door today. What a lovely idea. What a lovely idea. A sherry... I've seen the sherry trifle cakes. Are they the ones in Marks and Spencer's? Um, I'm pretty certain. Pretty certain they are. Other stories in the papers today. Uh, Ali Ross talking about The Apprentice and coming up with... Um, exactly the same that I did on the programme, which is, it's really, really difficult to watch these people without getting annoyed. And to, uh, and to try and think that they're in any way in the real world. I mean, I don't quite know what a social worker's doing on there, which is the, um, the black guy, Stephen, who I thought he was, I mean, he was being picked on, something chronic by the other people there, but it, it is turning into, I mean, as for Philippe, I think Philippe's got to go. I don't think he knows anything at all. Uh, Then the X Factor Ali Ross talks about, and he comes up with great, great lies and delusions, which I, which I do love. And TV Gold, The Rockford Files. Yes, Jim Rockford. Philip Schofield, reading this morning's competition links of the year. Coming up, we meet the man who's had sex with 700 cars. (laughs) First up for grabs, £32,000 cash, a holiday, and, uh, a new car. Try to keep that one quiet from somebody being interviewed in the studio. Uh, more on um, Yummy Mummy, to Oxo Mummy. And that's Linda Bellingham. All the papers have done really, really nice tributes to her today, which is, uh, which is uh, a lovely thing to do, because, you know, sometimes they don't get the, the coverage that they should do, but because she was on television on a, on a fairly regular basis, that's, that's why people liked her. Uh, is this the most ostentation ostentatiously over-the-top wedding dress. It's very nice. And it's uh, a wedding dress here. But, of course, the bride's father is the shamed Barclays boss, Bob Diamond. It's huge, huge dress. Oscar de Laurentiis died as well. <coughs> so that was a bit sad. Uh, the Harrogate's tail whipping Britain. And uh, a High Court family judge who divorced after committing adultery with a younger woman... Uh, yesterday called for the abolition of the legal rights and responsibilities of marriage. 
Good Lord. Well, there you go. Janet Street Porter, a trooper to her last breath. This is Linda Bellingham. They've all done it, each one of the, uh, the loose women. And Monica Lewinsky makes a lot of the papers today. Uh, you may think it was just an office fling. They say, I was never too sure what was going on. I just remember that he said I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And Monica Lewinsky has just told how she fell in love with my boss in a 22-year-old sort of way. But my boss was the President of the United States. The 41-year-old speech was cheered loudly by a packed audience in Philadelphia as the former White House intern admitted she did indeed sleep with Bill Clinton during their ill-fated affair. Can you believe that she's droning on about it still? Still. Miss Lewinsky told a conference organised by Forbes magazine she'd been patient zero for the culture of humiliation and bullying created by social media. Sixteen years ago, fresh out of college, I fell in love with my boss. Overnight, I went from being a completely private person to a public humiliated one. (coughs) I was the first person to have their reputation completely destroyed worldwide via the internet. I suppose she did, really. Only because people started denying it, didn't they? That was the problem with this, you know, did you have sexual relations? No, I did not have sexual relations with this woman. And then, of course, it turned out it did, and she says they did sleep together. I mean, will it never go away? How do you make your career out of, you know, a, you know, a little thing like that? That's what I couldn't understand. Uh, Jim Rockford, says somebody. Yeah, the Rockford Files. Don't you remember he used to answer with... Uh, this, a friend of mine used to copy his answer message. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave a message. Or something like that. Oh, it's quite good, actually. Uh, I've decided, says Bridget, that the dogs can miss their walk this morning. Virtually every child in my class has a hacking cough. But uh, it's the weather outside which has determined that. I know, once you get these hacking coughs, and unfortunately, because I speak for a living, it's a bit of a pain. There's not a lot we can do about it, but I'm doing my best. So uh, bear with me and do double prayers. It's 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Bad news. Bad news. Well, apart from the weather, which is bad news, the other bad news is this coming Sunday, the clocks fall backwards. So you lose an hour in bed. You will remember, won't you? I will be. Of course, I'll have to remind myself because I come in here on Sunday morning to do my programme and we have in conversation as well on Sunday morning. I don't know who it's going to be this week. Could be anybody. Could be anybody. All the big names. If they're in town, they're talking to us. Well, with the exception of two that we've had to cancel. Mainly due to the fact that uh, <clears throat> I don't think the voice will hold out that low. The voice is sounding all right. It's just the stupid cough side of it that's really annoying me. So, clock's going back on Sunday morning. So, one hour less. When do we do it? Do we do it at midnight or one o'clock in the morning? Do we do it when... Oh, no. Does Christo do his first hour and then presumably it goes back to one o'clock again? Poor soul, honestly. It's not fair, is it? It's not fair. Thank you, Richard. From Newbury in uh, in West Barks. It's not West Barkshire, is it Newbury? Well, it's just straight down the M4. I should go down there. <clears throat> it's West Barkshire, is it? Oh, right, OK. And do you go to school in Newbury? Oh, you get to school in West Barkshire. Oh, Red. Oh, not quite the same, is it? I mean, you know, you get the Newbury Racecourse and then you get Reading. You know, and I can't... Although I've got a friend of mine who works for uh, one of the papers in, in Reading. So uh, I've, I used to work in Reading as well. Years and years ago, I used to work at Helis in Reading. Oh God! I, I've been now John Lewis. Well, it was John Lewis then. It's just that the, all the a lot of the like the uh, Peter Jones in Sloane Square is John Lewis as well. They just had different names around the country, and so I worked there in the carpet department for a couple of very happy years, which was very nice. I say happy years; it was happy and fluff-ridden years because you get the fluff off all the carpets. And I went to school in Newbury, so and my, my school's gone co-ed. 
In my day, it was just a boys' school. You know, in those days when you had boys' schools, then the grammar school. That was for the intelligent people. And I was at the other one, uh, which meant you had, it was a long cycle up the hill. Why do they always put schools at the top of hills? The grammar school was much nicer. You could tell it was classier. They were at the bottom of the hill. Nobody had to cycle up the hill at all. And I worked in Newbury as well. And I just think it was quite posh. And uh, because it had a market on a Thursday and we had a race course and stuff like that, it's actually, as part of it, very chav. Very chav. I knew that because when I took the car in to be washed, everybody crowded round it, all the people in the car wash, and took pictures of it. I began to think I'd wandered into another, another country. So thank you, Richard, for telling us about the, uh, the clocks going back. I must remember to do that because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to climb into bed. <coughs> and I'm going to miss the whole blooming thing, which is going to, uh, going to annoy me again. So I must remember to do that. Uh, 84850. When the nerve ending, says Timothy, are irritated by excess mucus bacteria viruses, that causes the tickle in your throat. It's very annoying. Is anybody who's had it? It's, I don't even mind the runny nose. The runny nose thing I can cope with with a cold. At least that's sort of fairly visual. You don't mind sort of a, a nose that's sort of giving up slowly. It's just the cough thing. But purely to do with the fact that, uh, that I speak. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Dot co dot uk as we weave everything in for you this morning. Miserable old day. I'm ever so sorry. I wish I could sort of make it a lot better for you, but it, it's, it looks highly unlikely. Highly unlikely that the day is going to be uh, going to be good. Um, apparently, it's one extra hour, not one less. Says Ray. So they, I thought they fall back, don't they? So they fall. So you get the extra hour. Yes. Yeah. That's what I said. Actually, we gain an hour. We lose the hour in the spring. Yes, but it goes. Yeah, we gain it because Christo's got an extra hour on his programme. So do they do that at one o'clock in the morning? At two o'clock, they go back to one o'clock. Two a.m. back to one. Oh, I bet he's thrilled. Oh, I bet he's thrilled. So that's why. So uh, so you you gain an hour. You lose it in the spring. So that's right. So it goes back. Oh, either way, it's very complicated. I've got so many clocks to change. <clears throat> I don't know about the rest of you. But I've got about 15 clocks to do at home. One in the kitchen's all right because it's uh, an atomic clock, which is ruled by Greenwich, which is OK. Uh, the rest of them, I think, uh, on the, the television and the, uh, the DVD players, that's all automatic. The phone is automatic. The one in the bathroom, I've got to change. I've got three in the bathroom. Don't ask me why I've got three. Please don't ask. I find it very confusing myself. That Sometimes I think it's easier not to bother changing them at all because eventually in a year's time they go back to where they were. So I might leave that in future. And then the... <coughs> One in the car's got to be done. And then you always forget the wristwatch, don't you? The wristwatch is always the one that you forget when you're doing them. Uh, 84850. Helen says, I once took a big dose of a well-known brand of nighttime cough mixture. But it didn't work. I was awake all night and then fell asleep at work. I can't do anything that makes you drowsy. I don't do anything that makes you drowsy. Jonty uh, says, sorry about your cough, but a while back you had a missing tooth. And you sounded hilarious. I lost a bridge. I lost a bridge. A bridge came out. I mean, that was my worst nightmare that day. I thought the newsreader, poor old Rupert Bartier, thought I was having a seizure. I think he thought I'd been attacked or something as my teeth fell out in front of me because it was a bridge right at the front. How annoying was that? How annoying was that? Uh, Ron's looking forward to the extra hour in bed. And so is Simon over in Essex. Um, Lynn... So sad to hear of Linda Bellingham's passing. I've just been watching her in the lovely comedy Second Thoughts with James Bolam. She was just lovely. Seriously, I know it sounds... It's an awful cliché to use, isn't it, about somebody in the business? You know, and, but everybody just had nice words to say about her. Which is, I know it's, it's the thing that people say when somebody passes off. You always say, 
um, you know, weren't they wonderful and weren't they marvellous? And other people go, no, they weren't really. But in her case, she really was nice. She really was nice. She was just a nice person. And I think you, you saw that when she was on the television. Bridget says you get the extra hour in bed. Thank you. So uh, when the clock's here back, we get an extra hour, says Tracy. Yeah, OK. Kind of got the message now, OK? We get the extra hour in bed. Christo gets the extra hour on his, on his programme which he's, uh, as I say, going to be absolutely thrilled with. And then somebody says, why have you got three clocks in the bathroom? Sorry, I just had to ask. I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that. I've got one huge clock over the bath. I don't know. What, I don't, I've got no idea why. I saw it somewhere. It's enormous. And then I've got two on the mirror in the bathroom, one which you have to touch and it's digital, and the other one which is just ticker, ticker, whatever it is, and they stick on the glass. And that's so I know what the time... I know, it sounds ridiculous. But you, you do things like that. You fall into that habit of saying, you know, I don't know what time... I don't want to have to look around and go, what's the time, what's the time? I know I can look up, and I know that the clock above the bath is running five minutes late at the moment. I keep meaning to adjust it, but I haven't got quite round to doing it. Uh, the other ones are fine. But I, I do have a lot, of, a lot of clocks. In the bedroom, I've got... One, two, three, five, five clocks in the bedroom. You don't think it's beginning to sound like a bit of an addiction, do you, in the clock front? I have just a teeny beansy one. I've got one um, <clears throat> digital readout in different colours, which is very nice. Uh, then I've got uh, a posh carriage clock. Then I've got three little cheap clocks from the pound shop, which are my alarm clocks in the morning. They're all set to round about the same time, about, uh, about one o'clock. So that's it. I think it's... You're right, it, it is an addiction, thank you. I wish I'd not mentioned it, actually. <laughs> beginning to make me sound slightly barking mad. Uh, they're going on on Sunday. We get an extra hour, says uh, Julian. Thank you. And uh, apparently sucker a boiled sweet for your cough. Do you know what I thought about doing for the cough? I thought about bringing in ice lollies and sucking an ice lolly just to sort of make it a little bit better. Tess says, bless you. The clocks fall back and spring forward. I wish they'd leave them. Does it really make any difference? Does it really make any difference? Why don't we just leave them? Could we not do that? Do they do this in other countries? Do all these other countries have to keep changing the clocks all the time? It's like whenever I go abroad, I always think, I'm not going to, they say, and now the local time is, adjust your, I leave it. I always leave it. I can't be bothered to keep changing it. It's just ridiculous. On the phone it changes, but who wants it on your wristwatch? Because my wristwatch, it's quite difficult to pull the little knob out thing at the sides, so I, I have to bite it out with my teeth, but then I, I keep worrying, you know, they're not my teeth. I'm only borrowing them at the moment. And um, so I leave it, and there has been a campaign over the years for people to not adjust clocks let's not bother with this spring forward and fall backwards malarkey let's just leave it let's just leave it and it'll come round who cares whether you go to work in the dark or you go to work at the if they're going backwards oh it's going to be darker in the morning isn't it is it going to be darker yes is it yeah i'm trying to think actually you get the extra hour in, is it darker or, oh i don't know <clears throat> it must be darker i think producer's lost the will to live on that one he's got no he couldn't care less now having given me the flu who cares um thank you to uh, norman who says, clock's going back, Steve, mean an extra hour in bed. I know, but it never works out like that, does it? Do you ever wake up and go, oh, I've had an extra hour in bed. I feel so much more refreshed. No. Yeah, if you work overnight, it's not an extra hour in bed at all, is it? In fact, it's, it's just terrible. It just means that your night goes on longer. <laughs> I feel I can smile. I think the producer's working over the weekend. I feel it's, uh, it's divine retribution. Um, Jean says, when they go back, we have an extra... Do you know, I'm going to go around and start killing people in a minute. Drive me mad now. You get the extra hour in bed. But does it make any difference? You lie there going, the alarm's going to go off any minute now. No, another hour it's going to go off. And we all suffer with it. We all suffer with it. 
Uh, will you be interviewing yourself for In Conversation, says Philip, when the book comes out? Um, I don't, I don't, I've never thought about that, actually. Perhaps I could get James O'Brien to do a part. I think we've had a part one and part two of Steve Allen, haven't we, on In Conversation? I seem to vaguely remember that that's, that's how it was. I could be wrong. And, in fact, I'm, I'm wrong on quite a number of occasions when it comes to remembering certain things. Christine says, I had some bad news yesterday, but listening to you is really cheering me up. Well, I shall cheer you up in a moment with a story about Sarah Ferguson. She's been rebranded. Like cattle, I suppose, when they say that. Uh, she's four stone slimmer. Good God, how overweight was she? Four stone slimmer? She's planning a new business empire. Uh, wasn't she always? And most incredibly, is back on speakers with the Queen. When apparently the Queen is alleged to have said to her, what, what, would, you, what would you like? She said, your friendship, ma'am. And when that just is almost sick-making, I'm afraid. Uh, I did cover, for, uh, for the whole country, the wedding of Sarah Ferguson. Uh, the reason that people said it was doomed... In fact, Prince Andrew's gone on record as saying he's got three children. Quite clearly, Sarah Ferguson, who sort of wants to be treated royally, and only in America do they do that. Over here, people really couldn't care less. Uh, the moment Diana died, she sort of made out that they were best of friends. And this guy. I have no idea. I just know that the Sarah Ferguson marriage didn't last. It must be very difficult marrying into the royal family because they're a family steeped in history and they, they do things their way. And either you adapt to them or you just get out. Read Dickie Arbiter's book. That's very revealing about what goes on. And also Margaret Rhodes's book about the Queen Mother dying. That's a very, very interesting... And I think it's called The Final Curtsy. And Margaret Rhodes is a close friend of the Queen. They must have given permission for her to write this book. But it's a fascinating account of the last hours of the Queen Mother, who died in her house in Windsor Great Park. And... Uh, they went in there and then they said, we think she's going now. She'd been fairly ill. She was in her 90s, for goodness sake. And Margaret Rhodes went in there. And that's why the book is called The Last Curtsy. Because she went in there and as she left the room after they'd, they'd made her ready in the bed, she gave her last deepest curtsy. And that's what the royal family's built on. It's built on history. It has throughout the years. It's been infiltrated by the likes of Sarah Ferguson and uh, Diana and a few common people. I don't want to go into it because it makes me sound like a snob, but, you know, they come from different backgrounds, completely different backgrounds. It's quarter to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Ten to six is the time. Bev says, Steve, local honey from your area, most beneficial. There you go. And we do have, we do ha how funny, we do have a Twickenham Beekeeper Society. I have been there. Is it an apiary? Is that what they call it? An apiary where bees live? And they've got loads of them. I mean, to be honest with you, bees do frighten me. A hive, yes, they live in hives, that's true. Um, and in fact, actually, I, I prefer bees to wasps, because when you're watering the plants... Uh, the bees will sort of come round, and they know that you're watering. They don't. They don't attack you. They're just. They're very peaceful bees. You can't kill bees. They're not allowed to. I think they are. It is an apiary. I thought I was right. I'm very rarely wrong on these things at this time of the morning. You know, one likes to make one's effort. And um, and I've been there, and I've, I've sort of watched it. And a friend of mine uh, used to keep bees, and you can get thousands and thousands of them. He used to get so much honey in the hives. But I do like my manuka honey. Doesn't seem to be playing playing or helping me out at all today. Glenn is just leaving for work. You poor soul, honestly. It's supposed to be awful to leave for work at this time. I like the idea that I'm actually at work. I only got run down the other day by a Warburton's lorry on the motorway. I decided to go to Costco. They've got a lovely tree in there. It's about 15 feet tall. I've got no idea where I'm going to put it. 
but looking at the producer, I've got a rough idea. And um, and it, it changes lights. It's got white lights on it, and then they all of a sudden go to coloured lights. And I like, and they've got a giant Father Christmas in there, and loads of Christmassy things. And I keep thinking, it's October, Stephen. Don't be silly. Uh, <laughs> get over doing the clocks. Get over doing the clocks. Uh, and then, uh, yes. Is it yes? Y-I-A-S. I'm hopeless on pronunciation. I'm ever so sorry. It's so rude of me. I should know these sort of things. And, uh, and Kay says, you've got to try tropical forest honey at Waitrose. Uh, Rosa said, thank you for mentioning John Holt, who died yesterday. Well, otherwise, I don't think anybody would ever mention him. It's only because I come from that generation where I knew who John Holt was. Uh, cough medicine, says Phil, are placebos. Use two dessert spoons of both honey and lemon juice, half filled with hot water, honey soothes the throat. It's not, it's not, seriously, it's not made any difference, but you know why? It's because I'm still chatting, and if you chat all the time, uh, then it means that it doesn't get a chance to rest itself, so I'm, I'm aware of that. <clears throat> uh, Easton says, uh, I think the fact that your uh, correspondent was in Oz that makes him get hay fever in October. I didn't know you could, actually. Uh, Wayne's promised to, well, no, he was going to bring back some Russian vodka for my cough. Don't go telling me you were going to bring back Russian vodka. I mean, it's a bit of a swizz, isn't it, really? And um, somebody says, pulmonary bailey, best for your cough. Tastes vile, but works. I, shall end up, I know what I'll end up doing today. I'll end up going to see Mr Shah in goods, and I'll, be, and I'll walk out with a bag full of things, get back home and discover the bathroom is full of them. Every time I get a cough or a cold or a tickly throat, I've got a bathroom full of stuff. It, it is like a mini chemist in there. And then I've decided you've got to check the sell-by dates. Because this stuff goes out of date. I'd forgotten about it. Uh, Andy McCall is doing our travel this morning. He's, uh, he's had to batten down the hatches. Not much danger of him being blown away. Have you seen the size of him recently? I mean, heavens above, honestly, he's nearly as big as the producer. I mean that in a caring sort of way. And uh, <laughs> I love the way he says batten down the hatches. Bless him. Bless him. 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Peter in Gidea Park says, to save fiddling with my watch when going to the continent, I got myself a cheap second watch which runs on continental time. <laughs> well, that probably makes more sense, doesn't it? <clears throat> uh, they're going to be doing uh, Pistorius today. Now, whether or not the verdict comes in, I don't know. I'm not sure, is it guaranteed that the verdict comes in? Tom Swarbrick will probably know about that for us a little bit later on. On the subject of changing clocks, uh, Brian... Not all countries change their clocks. When you change your clocks on Saturday, it means you become almost a lunchtime programme here in Thailand. It's nice, isn't it? I like the idea of being a lunchtime programme. My claim to fame, I'm a lunchtime programme. And Elaine says, I feel for you with that cough. Worth trying Sanderson Specific. Singers and actors swear by it. I'd let you have my bottle if you were near Greenwich. It's a fat lot of good. Yes, thank you. But, uh, but at least you've sort of mentioned it. You gargle... Yes, I mean, you could get a bus, couldn't you, from there? It's very selfish of you to mention that and then take, you know, give with one hand and then take it away from me. You could get on a bus and deliver it here. You gargle and swallow. OK. Thank you very much indeed. Um, <clears throat> so, Sarah Ferguson. She's being rebranded. Uh, there is a rumour, but I think this is not the first time we've heard the rumour or the first time that I've told you about the rumour, that uh, her and Prince Andrew might remarry. I've never heard... Uh, for a while about this one, but they put it forward a little while ago that they might get married again. Who cares? Who really cares? I mean, I don't know. I don't know who Andrew's been out with. Um, and I'd, Sarah Ferguson's had a few men friends. Uh, but in America, they love her. She took that money from Weight Watchers, then distanced herself. She used to have a Sarah Ferguson foundation. 
And a foundation is generally a, a means of sort of channeling all your money into one place and then you can take out for living expenses and everything else. And um, they say that she's back within the fold of the royal family and will be going to Sandringham at Christmas. And apparently she's been going. I think she went last year as well. Uh, Prince Philip, of course, can't abide her. He wants nothing to do with her at all. Now, whether or not that is changing and he's mellowing in his old age, I don't know. But I think it's... Uh, I mean, I don't know what she'd be like at Christmas. I suppose she'd have to change, actually. Because nobody wants the jolly hockey stick, Sarah, that we saw in that dreadful It's a Royal Knockout, which Prince Edward organised, which was the most ghastly thing we've ever seen on television. Sarah Ferguson picking up her skirts and running down the track like somebody out of St Trinian's. It was all a bit ghastly. Prince uh, Edward lost his temper with the press when they, they, they were... Uh, they weren't really that bothered about this. He said, so, so what did you think about it? They went, couldn't really care. He went, oh, well, thanks a bunch. You know. Uh, fresh ginger tea with Manuka Honey works all the time, says Maria. Just simmer freshly grated ginger in water for a minute and strain and stir in the Manuka Honey. I'll tell you what, I think a hot water bottle in your throat might work. Because when I had the shower on this morning, I put the shower up against my throat. And that was quite pleasing. Very soothing. I enjoyed that greatly. That made me feel an awful lot better about uh, about everything. And then blow me down with about an hour. We're still coughing. Uh, Connie says, thank you for mentioning John Holt. Many people know the tunes, but they don't know his name. There you go. Uh, Stuart says, boil a large peeled onion, eat it with a dollop of butter. Ugh, dear. Uh, David says, how long does Manuka honey keep after it's been opened? I had some a year ago and forgot about it. Oh, it'll, as long as you seal the, the top, it keeps forever. The one I've got, it runs out next year. <coughs> next year. Um, another one here. <coughs> Excuse me, I do make a pun. Um... Somebody said, I thought we always change the clock so the children in Scotland aren't travelling to school in the dark. And Jenny says, so Sam gave you flu. No. No. I don't want to mention any names on the programme. It could be a court case. Not to make such a big deal about it. Um, uh, Lady Di was blue blood, says Dads. Yeah. So in other words, if it's light at 8am now, when the clocks go back, it becomes light at 7. No, it's still dark, won't it? It still becomes light at 8. It's just that it's now... An hour back, so two in the morning will be one in the morning. So if it's still dark, it still remains dark at that time. So it'll be darker longer. And then I'm assuming the other end of the... D- oh, I don't know, I can't be bothered to work it out. Whatever it is, they go back on Sunday morning, OK, for an hour. Uh, the Queen Mother was 103. Got a telegram off the daughter. <laughs> it'll be lighter earlier for a few weeks, then the winter blues start in... <coughs> this chance. Oh, I tell you what we saw the other day. We saw Jeremy Paxman on Sunday driving down the Euston Road in a little mini. And Jeremy Paxman is very tall, little tiny old mini with a camera on the front of it. There was a camera filming him, so he's obviously doing something. Ever since he retired from uh, from Newsnight, he's obviously sort of been trying to find some jobs. So we saw him driving down the Euston Road, and then he veered off left by Great Portland Street. I was tempted to follow. And I thought, there's no point in frightening him, because, you know, huge man like that, little tiny car. It all looked a little bit worrying. Uh, England, on its own, Scottish people pay 5p for a carrier bag. 5p for a carrier bag. And uh, these are throwaway. I don't mind paying for bags. It seriously doesn't bother me in the slightest. I know some people get very annoyed. I think Nick Ferrari, in particular, got very angry about the charging for carrier bags when it used to be free. And some people I've seen... I saw a man the other day in Marks and Spencer's putting all his food into a Waitrose bag, as if that was some sort of statement. Or failing that, what was the other one people did? They turned the bags inside out, so they weren't advertising the company. But you know if you see a light green bag, it's Marks and Spencer's. You know if you see a clear bag, the chances are it's Waitrose, whether it's turned inside out or not. 
So I don't think that actually makes any difference. And uh, Nicholas says, I've just seen John Cusack driving a black limo to Heathrow. Did LBC get the weather right and we're doomed? I don't think we're doomed, but I think it's certainly going to be uh, going to be a wee bit wet. Wee bit wet. <laughs> CJ says, Linda Bellingham was a princess-like figure whom we all held dear to our hearts. Due to the wonder of television, she will never completely leave us. No, and that is the miracle of the modern age. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. It's a coughing Steve Allen this morning. It's not as bad as, as you think it is, actually, really. It's just occasionally it sort of gets on top of me. The scandal of the government's crazy new advice to the elderly this morning. We've got half an hour left. The woman in the burqa thrown out of the Paris Opera House, not because the people in the Opera House complained, the cast on the stage complained about it. Monica Lewinsky, I was in love with Bill Clinton. The man who dropped his chewing gum, not in, in uh, an overseas place, here. Fined £845. The man who played the saxophone on Baker Street, dead at the age of 60. Brian Harvey looks like he's losing the plot. And the shop where Phil Collins bought his first drum set is set to close. They can't compete with the high rents. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Five past six is the time. Honey never goes off. Never goes off. But has a sell-by date on my little jar as well. Just got to keep it in a dark place and it should be fine. The woman in the burqa thrown out of the Paris Opera House. The cast complained about her, so she was asked to leave. The driver who threw the gay couple off the bus because they were kissing. Heaven forbid. The BBC rapped for letting DJs swear before the watershed. It was a concert with Lily Allen, who apparently swore about eight times. The tributes to Linda Bellingham flooding in. Uh, the reggae star John Holt, who's died. And the shop where Phil Collins bought his first drum set is too close. Ironically, it's in Twickenham. It's in Twickenham. And a 40-year-old man facing a police quiz. A drone flew over a football match. These drones are all over the place now. I've, I don't know if you've ever seen them. But they can get quite high, and you can put cameras on them. In fact, many of them have got cameras. And that's how they take the pictures of houses. When Country Life, you know, put all these lovely pictures of houses, and they're taken... The, I thought originally, oh, it's a helicopter. They've taken a helicopter, and they've flown it up, and they've taken the picture. No, they sent a drone up, and it sends the pictures back to their laptop in the car. Somebody controls it. And then they get pictures of what the house looks like from the air. It's ever so clever, really. Uh, Toys R Us have been slammed for selling toys from Breaking Bad. Oh, and it's Diwali next week, which means we get fireworks. So if you hear fireworks all over the place, that'll be it. It'll be, uh, it'll be Diwali. Uh, the shop where Phil Collins bought his first drums is to close. This is a family-run music store. Uh, status quo, Queen... And Phil, Phil Collins is said to have shopped is to close due to crippling business rates and competition from online retailers. This is Albert Kauth, who bought the shop in Heathrow in Twickenham in 1952, naming it Albert's Music Shop. His grandson, Stephen, now runs the store. And apparently, uh, Phil Collins bought his first drum kit in Albert's, and status quo would often drop in. He announced this week the store will have to close claiming competition from online retailers and high business rates were contributing factors. What they do now is, because this is a fairly large music store, um, and they've always got drums in the window or a keyboard, you don't see these places really now. I can remember when I used to live in Newbury, we went to buy some speakers, and there was a very similar music store. You went in there and they had drum kits, and they had accordions in the window, and harmonicas, and recorders, and stuff like that, and sheet music. 
And I can remember buying some Carlsborough speakers in our one down in Newbury. You don't find these shops now. Now with the, with the internet, people shop online, which is a shame. Great shame. So shops are going to have to close. And of course, with business rates, the landlords, they don't care whether anybody, they couldn't care less who's in there. They seriously couldn't care less. All they do is they just sort of sort of shove people out and then they'll put in a coffee shop or a cafe or something like that. You know, I'd much rather have a music shop. Why do the people get so greedy with the business rates? So great shame that it's closing. At, um, it's, it's a shame. Speaking to The Standard, Queen star Brian May recalled visiting the shop when he was young. He described the lovely experience of buying records, adding, it's a different feeling from just pressing a button to get a download. I do miss it. Yes. And uh, Mr Cowell says, I'm obviously saddened, as the business has been in the family for three generations, but it's been a long time coming. <clears throat> Great shame. Great shame. So I'm sure now that they've featured in the, uh, the papers and probably some television programmes have done them, people will nip down there and have a look, because it's, uh, it's quite a unique place. You just don't find people like that anymore. Although directly over the road from them are some new flats with uh, what were going to be shops underneath. Well... About two years on, they still haven't sold the shops and the units underneath. They're sitting there completely empty. Loads of empty places. Loads of empty places. So why have another empty shop for a greedy landlord? I mean, do they get some sort of benefit out of this? I don't know. Uh, 84850, steve at And uh, Sharon says, nice tribute to John Holt on Facebook. Uh, Stuart says, we've been charging charged for bags for years in Wales. I use a bag from H.A., Rods, whatever that is. They're talking about your cough. The words hypochondriac come to mind. Really? What, coughing? Oh dear, I'm sorry you're like that. Are you in Wales? Oh dear. I hope you're not indicative of all the people up there. Brandy and hot water, honey and lemon juice will do the trick. So they say, it's always honey, isn't it? Always honey and lemon juice. And always that sort of, uh, that, that sort of kind of thing that people say, honey, well, years ago, for getting rid of a, getting rid of a cold, it used to be uh, whiskey and hot milk. Whiskey and hot milk was always terribly, terribly popular. But uh, brandy, hot water, honey and lemon juice will do the trick, yeah. It's such a such a blimmin' pain to make it, isn't it, really? Uh, the 70-mile-an-hour storm chaos, so far round here... I'm looking at the trees outside. This is a good indicator here in London. And I'm looking at the, uh, the trees in the road at the back of us, next to the Garrick Theatre, and they're not moving unduly, you know, for supposed to be hurricane forces out there it seems to be uh, it seems to be okay uh, on the uh, the subject of the driver throwing the gay couple off the bus for kissing this one seems to have sort of run and run I mean, it certainly went went viral with Ollie Mann earlier on today we don't know the full story of it um, the men said you know when he when they heard him say something um, he was given a peck on the lips one of these uh, people here the bus driver shouted oi you two don't do that on my bus. Insert rude word there. He says, I don't want to watch that. I don't know why the bus driver is sitting there watching the passengers. Surely there's more interesting things to do, like look at the road. Anyway, when the bus stopped at our stop, I walked up to the driver and politely asked if he was talking to us. His reply was, yes, it's my bus, it's my rules, and I don't want to watch that. It's disgusting. Get off. Now, what I would do at that time, if this is exactly what happened on the bus, I'd have maintained my ground and said, I tell you what, why don't you call the police? Why don't you call the police out? Because I'm sure the police would be absolutely delighted to deal with something like that. This happened on August the 8th at around 10.30pm. Uh, this happened... Well, this sort of follows on, <clears throat> excuse me, from the, the two women who were threatened with ejection from a Sainsbury's store in Brighton 
by a security guard for kissing. Well, that triggered a protest last week and an apology from the supermarket chain. Of course it would. Absolutely. You know, just because some people don't like things, that's no reason to start swearing at them or anything like that. The worst thing was that the security guard in this particular Sainsbury's was gay herself. And said, I'm really sorry. But then, as the two women said, she still carried on with it. And you think, no, 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 have the courage of your convictions. It's so much better. So much better. So, in this particular case, uh, they're now... Uh, the, the bus driver is on leave. And the matter will be raised when he returns to work. I mean, did he have leave booked beforehand? Or has he realised that, uh, very shortly, he's going to be named and shamed in the newspapers? They're going to find out who he is, aren't they? They're going to put a picture of him up on there. And they're going to be uh, finding out. I mean, all customers on TFL have the right to use the service without fear of being abused. And offensive behaviour is completely unacceptable. We would like to reassure Mr James, who is Jack James, that this matter is taken very seriously and a thorough investigation is being conducted. Well, it's homophobia. I mean, you, you have to investigate it because it is rampant homophobia. You can't have a bus driver saying that to somebody. Okay, who it is? Doesn't matter. It's like, um, you know, sort of a bus driver sitting there going, I'm sorry, don't want to see black people on my bus. It's my bus. It's my rules. Unfortunately, it's not his bus. <coughs> and it's not his rules either. Oh, dear. Um, I was uh, Joe Pasquale's dresser for a, a short while, and he started to develop a cough. I gave him onions, sprinkled with brown sugar, leave it to sit, and a syrup develops. Sounds disgusting. Absolutely. I've never anything like it. What is it with onions that people are doing at the moment? Somebody says, uh, CJ, you still have man flu. Um, no, it's not man flu. It's just the cough. And I don't know where it's come from. I'm convinced it's the producer who's given it to me because he was the only one I sat with in a very small room and I'm quite susceptible to sort of uh, picking up things like this. Uh, there's a family feud <coughs> which is uh, promising to undermine a tourist industry. This is the tourist industry of uh, 221B Baker Street, which, as you know, is the mythical home of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the founder of the Baker Street Museum is a, is a convicted fraudster. And to be honest with you, they've got all sorts of money that's gone missing and everything else. This this place generates a small fortune every year. People go there thinking that, I mean, I don't know whether they believe, it's mainly Japanese tourists and people from overseas, but they believe that Sherlock Holmes actually existed and actually lived there. But uh, we exposed this place years ago. Years ago that, uh, you know, there was no Sherlock Holmes, it's just a fictional character. And because he's got 221B, they've kind of made it up so they have a fake... <coughs> excuse me, policeman, standing by the uh, the door, and they have a museum where they sell a, a few sort of uh, ropey things. And now it turns out that money's gone missing, and uh, they reckon here that this can make an estimated £20,000 a day. Twenty, Good grief, could it really? It was set up in 1990, and they say makes an estimated £20,000 a day. Good Lord, honestly. We need to find some other uh, other places to open up, don't we? But uh, not-so-elementary investigation going on at the moment. So that one, I predict, will run and run. Quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Uh, 6.20 is the time. Uh, Brian May has got a stereograph collection. Did you know that? I know that he collects because when we talked to uh, Anita Dobson, she said he never throws anything out. He keeps everything. He's got all sorts of things. And he's collected thousands of stereographs over 40 years. What they are is pairs of photographs taken at slightly different angles, mounted side by side and viewed through lenses in a stereoscope, with the viewer seeing only one 
image. And this poor man's picture gallery, uh, the Victorian art and stereoscopic photography, is a free display at Tate Britain until April the 12th next year. It's not my, um, <clears throat> not my favourite museum, Tate Britain. I must be the only person who doesn't like Tate Britain. But anyway, it's there and it's free and that's good news. The Rembrandt exhibition you do need to pay for. But that's well worth going to see. Well worth going to see. I must bring you the story before the programme finishes, because uh, it's, it's such a good story. It's a man who spat his chewing gum out on the street. Now, I see people doing this all the time. For ages, I just thought it, we had sort of, you know, bad pavements. But people spit their chewing gum out onto the pavement. In Singapore, it's illegal. And it's really, really illegal. But uh, here's a guy called Nicholas Kotlar, 26... He spits his chewing gum out on the street. He ignores an on-the-spot charge imposed by a litter patrol officer who caught him in Bolton, in Lancashire. Good morning, Bolton. He was told he could pay £50 or argue his case before magistrates. When he failed to turn up at court, he was hit with a £600 charge and ordered to pay £245 in costs. Marwan Alsaldamay was also fined £400 and landed with costs of £240 for dropping a cigarette outside Bolton College. Fixed penalty notices are regularly handed out to people who throw away sweet papers, receipts, fast food wrappers and cigarette butts in the street. But councils use specialist cleaning equipment to vaporise chewing gum. The annual cost across the UK is £150 million a year. Can you believe it? So anyway, more fool Nicholas Cockler who thought that he wouldn't bother turning up in court. Somebody's fined him. What's your name? Give me a name. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, this is appearing in court then to challenge it. So he didn't bother turning up. And he's fined £845. And, of course, every time the bailiff goes out, they'll be pushing the price up, won't they? A little bit more. Oh, my God, what a brilliant idea. I wonder if they managed to get away with that in London. One would like to, uh, one would like to think so. Um, ta -ta -ta -ta. Apparently... Uh, Patsy says the local councils decide how much they want for the rates. The councils are responsible for closing high street shopping down. I don't know why they um, why they want to close down. You know, places have been there for years. And you know when they close down, if they were right in the middle of a, of a high street, it, it's a coffee shop. Within, you can almost bet your bottom dollar, although we did get um, um, uh, a reading centre. But, uh, but the thing that goes in there is a coffee shop. Irrespective of the fact we've got every coffee shop known to man, we end up with more of them because they can sell as lost leaders. Makes no difference to them whether or not they, they take £5 or, you know, £5 million in the course of a year. It really makes no difference. They have to do it so they've got a presence on the high street. It's odd, isn't it, really? I mean, I, I never quite understood it either. So they'd rather get rid of, you know, a local shop for local people, where local people go to, or a local little restaurant in favour of a chain of coffee shops. Ridiculous. Uh, Kevin the Miltman says, we have a fantastic large music instrument shop in Harlow called Gig Gear. I get everything I need for my bass guitar there from strings to amps, but it's on an industrial estate in Templefields. It probably wouldn't survive if they had to pay town centre rent and rates. Do you know, you're absolutely right. They put more and more of these places on these industrial estates where it's a lock-up and they can keep it all in there. They were rebuilding a car on the television the other day on a fascinating programme. Somebody was going to throw a car away, didn't know. Uh, that it was then rebuilt by these experts, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, um, so there you go. So now we know. Apparently in Enfield, an £80 fine for dropping litter. Wow. God, I wish they'd bring that in round here. Uh, and I went to the Sherlock Holmes Museum on Friday, Steve, as I'm a huge fan. The house was very interesting. All the staff had a sense of humour. The shop was full of things I could have bought if I had money. Enjoyed the whole experience. 
And that's Jane. Yes, but you know it's made up, don't you? You know... (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, I'm quite excited. I'm trying to explain about it never actually existed. It was only made up. But he bought it. They reckon 20 grand a day. It turns over, which is absolute... I mean, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Front pages of the papers. Wet and wild Britain. The first blast of hurricane... Gonzalo, Linda Bellingham, dies in her husband's arms, as we thought. We did say, we thought it was unlikely that she was going to see Christmas. But uh, bless her heart, she uh, she struggled through to the ends. Millions of older people on the front page of the Express struggling to pay their energy bills should heat just one room in the day to get through the winter. Seems sound advice for most people, doesn't it, really? Um, I couldn't fulfil Linda's last wish, says grieving husband. That was, she wanted to live to Christmas. She said, she said I'll, just, I'll just go to sleep after Christmas. But I thought she'd be tired after her television appearance. Uh, muggers to avoid jail sentences. This is uh, a story on the front of the Telegraph today. And Joss Stone adding to the poppy appeal. Apparently they've, um, they've sold all the ceramic poppies. So that's good news, isn't it? Uh, Paralysed man walks again. A historic breakthrough funded by a campaigning father after his son was disabled in a swimming advert and the autumnal tranquillity of Sheffield Park Garden in East Sussex as the leaves on the trees turn that beautiful shade of autumn. The final curtains come down on my brave Linda. Uh, Colleen's tears for pal. Linda Bellingham has, uh, has passed away. And Cheryl Cole says, Simon Cowell is driving me to a breakdown. That's it for this morning. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, We shall get through Daniel Radcliffe and Catherine Jenkins, I hope, today. And we'll do it again tomorrow morning from four o'clock. You can listen to LBC whenever and wherever you like. Download the LBC app or there's TuneIn Radio 2. And if you missed any of today's show, there's also our podcast service. Coming up at seven, it's Nick Ferrari. But next, it's Lisa Aziz with the morning news.